Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. How is everybody doing? All right, let's try that one more time. Good morning. There we go. I love it. Hey, you and I are going to interact today. Um, so get your vocal cords ready. We're going to talk a little bit. Is that all right with y'all? All right. Awesome. Hey, I love a really good story. Anybody else love a really good story? All right. Anybody enjoy a good movie, a good book? Um, maybe like me, I'm a nerd, a good comic book. Um, so uh, I, I, my father growing up was a storyteller, incredible storyteller. I mean, he was dynamic, he was animated, he, he enjoyed telling stories of his childhood, and I enjoyed sitting and listening to what he had to say. Some stories were funny, some stories were of adventures that he would take as a young boy, some stories were about family members, and, and, and well, you know how family members can get sometimes. I want to try something with y'all, if that's okay. This may work, this may not work. I want you to, right now, in your head, picture and think about your favorite story. It could be from a book, a movie, uh, it could be from a novel. You got it? Yes? Cool. Uh, on the count of three, would you shout it out to me? Ready? One, two, three. Wow. I know them all now. That's great. Um, no, I love stories. Uh, I want to share a little bit of my favorite stories. Uh, the first one is this. You may have known it. You may have seen it. Um, it's The Hobbit. I love this story. I love the adventure. I love everything that has to do with it from the food to the dancing to this crazy dragon that's involved. My second one is this. It takes place in a galaxy far, far away. Many of you know it. Many of you have heard it. It's coming up here in December. Um, and then my last one, I'll give you a little nostalgia here. It's this guy or these guys. I grew up on these. Ninja Turtles. You see, stories are created to capture our attention. Stories are, are created to draw us into their world and show us a different point of view. Sometimes tell us some, some unique and, 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 and different story that would show us how to live our lives. Studies have shown, however, that our attention span has drastically dropped to about eight seconds. Which is crazy, because a goldfish is nine. So that's telling you something. Let me ask you a question. When you think about your week, past week, how much entertainment did you consume this week? I mean, Disney Plus just launched, so I know some of us have consumed a lot. But I would say that our attention span has not only decreased a little bit, but has become more selective. Selective to what we consider important or what is appealing to me. We live in an entertainment-driven society that pushes us to be more and more consumers, to be consumeristic, to consume, to just keep absorbing and taking in. And when we're not satisfied, it tells us move on to the next big thing. Keep going, keep consuming. There's something else out there for you. You see, and I, I believe that we, we have devoted ourselves to, well, us. We've devoted our own selves not to something else, but rather to what I like, what I want, what I need. 
We've become very centered on me. Our devotion sometimes is based too much on the me. And when it's too much focused inwardly, we're blinded to the reality around us. We're blinded to the reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us. We're blinded to Christ himself and to his kingdom and to his people. This is what I think has been happening in our day and age today. That we have a misaligned devotion and are in need of a realignment. We are longing for something to fill the void, something to just fill the empty. And so we keep consuming, we keep asking for more, we keep being busy just to be busy, we keep getting distracted from the still voice of God. You see, I entitled our message today, Our First Love. And and we'll find out what exactly that is, and we'll see how the text kind of reveals this to us. But as as I read this passage, I couldn't help but notice that maybe, just maybe, we are in need of a slight realignment back to our first love. My sermon in a sentence is this, when our devotion is realigned, the body of believers grow in generosity and worship together. Today we're going to kind of dive into the book of Acts and we're going to kind of settle in chapter 2, verse 42 and 47. Um, if you have a Bible, please join me. Um, but before we kind of jump into this text, I want to give you a little bit of a introduction to this text. You see, something crazy happened at the very beginning of the book of Acts. And it's that Jesus had died and that he had resurrected. And so this crazy story is beginning to to kind of go out throughout all of Judea, all of Jerusalem. And and the disciples are hearing these crazy stories and they finally get to see Jesus face to face. And they're like, whoa. You see, that's an amazing story, but it's not just history, but rather it's reality. Something that has happened. So as we dive into this text, we see what exactly the early church were doing what happened to them what happened because of the resurrection of Christ Acts 42 Acts 2 excuse me 42 begins like this and they devoted themselves to the apostles teachings and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the numbers day by day those who were being saved. You see, we are in need of a realigned devotion. See, the first thing that we see is that their devotion stirred them in the right direction. You see, Jesus captivated them so much that they said, God, we will do anything to follow you. And this is not kind of when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts calling his apostles like, I'm going to leave my family and friends to follow Jesus. This is a little more intense. This is a little more commitment. Because now they're saying, God, Jesus, even if you leave, we will still be dedicated to you. We will still be devoted to you. See, it says that they devoted themselves to four things. The early church shows us 
that when their misaligned devotion was realigned back into its primary intent, they were able to focus more. See, the word here is, is literally devote and by definition means to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person, activity, or cause. And what the early church teaches us, what scripture is letting us know is that at this exact moment, they said, God, we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which should lead us to a question. What was it that the apostles taught? What exactly was it? Well, if you look with me at Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 49, it says this, Jesus speaking, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then this is a beautiful key. This is the key of this text. Then he, being God, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. You see, Jesus is ultimately saying, look, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I am what everybody, all the prophecies and everybody pointed to. I have come on the scene, and I am here. I have come to fulfill the law, which when we look at it sometimes, most of the times, if not all the times, we cannot fulfill. And Jesus says, that's okay, I can do it for you. He is the Messiah who has come to save us from our wickedness. That we can find repentance and forgiveness in only his name. And then this is the beautiful story. He says, look, and all of this is true, but guess what? You are to be my witness to this. You are to go and tell everybody about this. Teach them. Let them know who I am so that they may find freedom in me. You see, God, the Holy Spirit, does this in our lives today. When we open this up and say, God, I, I, I don't understand, I would say pray. Ask Christ to reveal to you. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to open your minds to understand the scriptures we must be diligent not to be overbooked with all other things, but rather to take time to sit under the authority and the word of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this, in this beautiful quote, and he says, Christian community means community through and in Jesus Christ. On this presupposition rests everything that the scriptures provide in the way of direction and precepts for the communal life of the Christian. We see this come true in the early church because they devoted themselves not to themselves, but rather to the apostles' teaching, which ultimately was Christ himself. They found that their alignment was being put back into its proper place. You see, it doesn't just stop there because then it says that they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but to fellowship. And I like this one a lot. But before I go on, let me ask a question. And I'm sorry if this hurts, but when did Christians become born? When did Christians become born? Let's be honest, no one's running through the door 
asking me or Adam or Mike to throw their party and be DJs at it. Right? Why? You see, if we have found true joy in Christ Jesus, shouldn't we understand what it means to be in fellowship? Shouldn't we understand what it means to have true joy? You see, the word here that they use in the text is a Greek word, and I would love for you to shout it out with me, and it's koinonia. Can you repeat that? All right, try it again. Ready? Koinonia. Yeah. See, I'm Spanish. I put a Spanish twang to everything, so I make Greek words sound Spanish. It means to have fellowship. And by definition, fellowship is a friendly association, especially with people who share in one's interest. And isn't it beautiful that you and I share in the same interest? You may say, John, what is that interest? Well, I can tell you a few. Jesus, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, freedom from the bondage of sin. And this is my favorite, salvation. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. You and I have received salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This beautiful thing that we could never come before the throne of God because of our impurity, because of our sin. And Jesus says, let me step up to the plate and I'm going to take care of you. Because I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. We should be the ones throwing the biggest parties. We should be the ones having the most fun. Why isn't this happening? If we have found true joy in Christ, shouldn't we be the ones having the best parties where others are on the outside saying, I need to get in there? That people should be looking in the doors of the church saying, what is happening? What am I doing with my life? Why am I not in fellowship with them? Why am I not in this party? Y'all, we need to stop being like this picture. We need to stop being the frozen chosen, man. Sometimes a lot of us, we encounter Christians and we're like, wow, that was terrible. Whew. I'm glad I'm not in that conversation anymore. You see, I grew up in a Hispanic home. Many of you know this, but our parties lasted throughout the night. And when I mean parties, I mean parties. There was music, there was dancing, there was good food. There was other kinds of beverages there as well, but that's okay. But the reality is that the parties kept going through the night, and I remember the sound of joy. I remember the sound that it left everyone at the end of the night with. It was like, wow, I can't wait for the next one. But something happened one day in my family. Something happened where the parties stopped. The, the, the music kind of drained. The food was still there. But something stopped. And I remember one day somebody came up to us and said, hey, when's the next party? And to their response and to my surprise, they said, we don't do that anymore because we're Christians. Huh? Wait, we can't have fun because now we're Christians? I'm sorry, y'all, but if I read the text properly, Jesus' first miracle was where? At a wedding, at a party. And I'll just leave it there for your imagination. You can read the text. You see, Luke 15 says, 15, 7 says, when one person repents, heaven rejoices. And I don't know about you, but we had three celebrations of life this morning. They rejoice. 
You see, they're not sitting around in heaven going, woohoo, that is fantastic. Good job, y'all. No, it says that they throw a massive party. Why? Because one of the children that was lost has now been found again. We need to learn how to throw parties that Christ himself would be pleased to be at. And I think at times we don't do this because we're afraid of what others might say. You see, Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this. And here is the edge. Christians are called to live in the world, but not live like the world. Christians are called to dine with sinners, but not sin with sinners. But either way, when Christians throw their lot in with Jesus, we lose the right to protect our own reputation. It's not for you to protect your own reputation. Let Christ handle that. When you are devoted to Jesus Christ, he will handle everything else. Do not worry what the crowds will say. They said the same things to Jesus. They said, you know what? Let's crucify him. And guess what? On the third day, he said, what's up? You see, we need, to get, we need to get back to enjoying each other. As the early church showed us what to do, the text tells us that not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, not only did they devote themselves to fellowship, but then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is one of my favorite parts. Because, man, your boy can eat. Mm. I love me some good food. Anybody else here with me? You see, Jesus' ministry involved a lot of eating with people. Sitting at their table. When you read through the Gospels, he is constantly eating with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, and even the Pharisees, the religious folks. Jesus took time to be with people. Rosaria Butterfield in her book, in the same book, she goes on to say that living out radically ordinary Christian hospitality means knowing that your relationship with others must be as strong as your words. The balance cannot tip here. Having strong words and a weak relationship with your neighbor is violent. It captures the violent carelessness of our social media-infused age. That is not how neighbors talk to each other. That is not how image bearers of the same God relate to one another. Radically ordinary hospitality values the time it takes to invest in relationships, to build bridges, to repent of sins of the past, to reconcile back to each other. Bridge building and remaking friendships, listen, cannot be rushed. So many times in our day and age, we want to microwave everything. I grew up in a place where my mom didn't have a microwave. And so when we had leftovers, guess what it was? In the oven. You know how long it takes for an oven to warm up? When you are starving, mom says, I'll warm it up for you. No, mom, please, Lord Jesus, can we just go get a microwave? <laughs> but the reality is that the early church understood that time is key. Time is important. The early church teaches us that when we spend time with God, we grow in relationship with him and with each other. We need to learn how to set the table like Jesus does for you and me. We need to return to our first love. The passage then goes on to say the fourth thing. They devoted themselves to prayer. Another great one. J.C. Riles in his book, A Call to Prayer, he writes, Paul said, continue in prayer, 
and pray without ceasing. He didn't mean that people should always be on their knees, but he did mean that our prayers should be like that continual burned offering steadily preserved in every day, that it should be like a seed in time of harvest, in summer and winter, unceasingly coming around at the regular season, that it should be like the fire at the altar, not having consuming sacrificed sacrifices, but never completely going out. The early church understood the importance of prayer and how it helps us to grow together and to grow closer to God. The late R.C. Sproul used to use a phrase that has captivated my heart and has captivated my life. And the phrase is karam deo, and that's a Latin phrase. And it literally means to be before the presence of God or before the face of God. You see, to live a lifestyle of, of karam deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. And the early church teaches us how to do this. They understood that when our devotion is realigned back into its proper place, their love would also return. You see, Christ provides the way for you and me to return to our first love through the cross and the resurrection. You see, when they returned to their first love, they learned two things. How to live lives of generosity. How to live lives of worship. But let me warn you, because generosity cannot flourish in a selfish heart. But rather flows out of the abundance of their new heart that is in Christ Jesus. And it's for each other. You see, the idea of generosity stems from kingdom people doing kingdom things, meaning when we, you and I, the kingdom, are kingdom-minded, our hearts overflow with generosity because it's a kingdom mindset. You see, the last two phrases or last two verses of the text says, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And then they worshiped, they praised God having forever favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day. And isn't it fitting that when they realigned their devotion back to Christ and each other, it would ultimately end in worship for Christ with each other. Which in turn led them back to return back to their first love. God himself. You see, sometimes we miss the mark or, or we're off track because we're not focused on our, who our first love is. And it shouldn't be me. I shouldn't look in the mirror and say, man, you're look good looking. It's okay to say that to yourselves. But if you do that too often, guess what? You focus inward and you don't see Christ that dwells in you who made you in his image. And when you do that, others don't see Christ in you, but they see you as a selfish person. We're called to reflect the beauty and the glory of God himself so that others would come to know him, not me. One of my favorite memories of living in West Point, Georgia, where I went to school, was on Sundays. See, we as college students would go together to church. We would afterwards go to the nearby Mexican restaurant to eat together good food y'all we then would take time to rest and then meet each other back at around three o'clock to play soccer together 
You didn't have to be good. You didn't even have to know how to kick a ball. You just showed up because you wanted to be there with people. We did life together. Last Sunday, uh, uh, I, let me back up. I love being a college pastor. And the reason I love being a college pastor is because I get to be a part of a student's lives for X amount of years. Whether it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, however long it takes you to finish college. It doesn't matter how long. But I get to be a part of your life for X amount of years or maybe one, maybe even a week. And I get to be a part of your life and share the good news, the hope that I have found in Christ Jesus with each and every one of these students. I get to walk alongside them and see the life, the difficulties, the good, the bad, the ugly. Last Sunday, we took a big group after church and went and ate at Buffalo Wild Wings. There's 12 of us, 13 of us, I can't even remember. There's a lot of us. But I started to see and I started to remember what Christ had done in me so long ago when I was in college that he put me around a community and said, this is what you were created for, not to be alone, but rather to be in the fold with me and with my people. And maybe you're here saying, you know what, I don't, I don't know what this is about. I don't understand it, but I would like to know more. Well, Jesus has set the table for you and me to sit at it with him. See, as I close, Charles Spurgeon once said this, says, never mind that bread and wine, unless you can use them as folks often use their spectacles. What they do, use them for. What do they use them for, excuse me? To look at? No. To look through them. So use the bread and wine as a pair of spectacles. Look through them and do not be satisfied until you can say, yes, yes, I can see the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. You see, the early church teaches us when we are devoted back to who God created us to be, when we are devoted, excuse me, back to who he is, we find our identity in Christ. And we find that we're ultimately here to belong with each other. Our devotion back to Christ leads us back to each other. When we were separated from the fold, God said, I will take your place and I will draw you back. And many of us need to hear this. Many of us at this moment maybe don't even understand what we're about to do. Um, if I can have the communion servers get ready. Many of us don't even get the point that, that what is this table like? What is this all about? It's about the beauty of Christ coming and setting us free. It's about the beauty of beholding Jesus in a better light than we did yesterday and hopefully in a better light tomorrow than we did today. It's not to just look at, but to look through. And to see Jesus behold in all of his splendor and glory. And that you can say, hallelujah, holy, holy is the Lord. That you can look at Jesus and say, he's forgiven me of my past. And no longer does that hold me back, but rather I am set free. The table is set for you and me. Undeserved. God says, you know what? When you sit at my table, you are my child. When you sit at my table, you are royalty. When you sit at my table, you belong there. And many of us feel like we don't belong. And Jesus says, you know what? I paid it for you on the cross of Calvary 2,000 plus years ago. You belong here with me. You are mine. You are made in my image. And that's the beauty about what we're about to do. See, my prayer for us today, Northridge, 
is that we would return back to our first love, that we would find a renewed sense of devotion for God, His kingdom, and its people. May our hearts and mind find a devotion that only God Himself can provide. And may we live here and now as kingdom people who are awaiting the return of the glorious King Jesus. Let's devote our time back into his word. Let's learn to enjoy the company of each other. Let's throw some amazing parties for the kingdom with some amazing food. And let's break bread and remember the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for you and me. And above all that, may we live together in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God for the rest of our lives. Let's return to our first love. God himself he has set the table and he is waiting for you he has set the table for us will you join us in partaking of communion as we remember what he has done for his children those whom he rescued from the bondage of sin and has set free by crushing his son on the cross of Calvary and bringing him back to life in three days she buried in a dark tomb and on the third day Jesus shone brighter than anything that you can ever imagine and he says I have made the way for you to be free you are free because of what Christ has done for you remember his love remember his grace and remember that the table is set because he is waiting for you let's pray Lord God, as we come before you to sit at the table that you have prepared, Father, we ask that you forgive us of any sins that we may have done and have unrepented of. May we come together as a community of believers, as as kingdom people. May we look through, not look at the table, may, may, may we look through and see Christ in all of his splendor and glory. May we look through and say, yes, yes, I see the Lamb of God who's taken away my sins and has set me free. Lord, thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.